the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 12. I will read verses 12 through 15. And tonight uh, we will look carefully at a number of other passages of Scripture as well that will cast some light on this subject. Hebrews 12, beginning with verse 12. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all men and holiness without which no one will see the Lord, looking diligently lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble or cause you trouble, and by this many be defiled. Notice the phrase, in verse 15, any root of bitterness. Bitterness compared in this passage and other places to a plant is like one of those undesirables in your yard that if you pull it up and the least fragment of a root remains in the soil, the fragment will live the root will grow and a new plant will break ground. Like any other poison, any bitterness is too much. Any bitterness is too much. And as I share with you what the Lord has laid on my heart for you tonight, I want you to remember at all times that I am talking about any bitterness. It doesn't have to be much. It doesn't have to show. You may not even be aware unless the Lord reveals that it is there. But I am talking about any root of bitterness. What stress is to our physical body, bitterness is to the spirit. It may begin buried like a small fragment, but it will work its way out and it will demonstrate its presence in various ways. Make no mistake about the fact that according to Scripture, over and over and over again, bitterness is poison spiritually. It leads to ill will, it leads to hatefulness, it leads to vengefulness and confusion. And I believe that the ultimate result of bitterness in the life of a Christian is disillusionment. Disillusionment and disenchantment with the Lord Himself. It will destroy the ability to be happy, to be thankful and to feel fulfilled in life. It will produce hatred. 
And in Hebrews 14.30, or Proverbs, I'm sorry, Proverbs 14.30, the statement is made, a sound heart is life to the body, but envy is rottenness to the bones. Bitterness will ultimately tear away at your physical health in a devastating way. You see, the moment you begin to focus in a bitter way on another person or on another event or on something tragic or sad or bad, the moment you begin to do that, you become the slave of the object of the bitterness. And as Bill Gothard teaches so quickly and so carefully, you will ultimately become like your emotional focus. What are they like? What is it that has hurt you? The wound is healed to all visible uh, sight. It is perhaps concealed from those who know you best and love you most. But what is that thing that wounded you like? You must beware because you will become like that. Critical, picky, hostile, arrogant, intolerant, whatever it is, you will adopt whether you like it or not and most certainly you do not like it. You will adopt the characteristics of the thing you focus on. So tonight I want us to consider uh, some of the biblical material about bitterness. And then I want us to seek the mind of God himself in its application to our own lives. Notice with me, first of all, the character of bitterness. The character of bitterness. The Greek word for bitter and for bitterness, the, the root word, is the word pikros, P-I-K-R-O-S in English. Pikros comes from a root word which means sharp or pointed. That's its essential meaning, something that is sharp or pointed. And as it came to be used widely in the Greek language, it became applied to anything that penetrates, such as a stabbing wound or a, a shrill sound that cuts through your ears or a pungent odor that cuts through your sense of smell or anything else that was painful. The word picross became used in that way. Often in the Bible, the word bitterness, the concept of bitterness is uh, connected with anger and malice and envy. Also, it is connected with other things. In the Gospels, in Matthew 26 and Luke 22, when Simon Peter had followed at a distance to see what was going to happen to the Lord Jesus on the night of his betrayal, when he denied three times the last time with an oath that he even knew the man. And the cock 
crowed. He was stricken in his heart. And the scripture says he went out and he wept bitterly. And it denotes a kind of uncontrolled sobbing and despair because of his denial of the Lord Jesus. And that is the same term, the same idea, bitterness. The character of bitterness, it is poisonous. It is sharp. It is pointed. It is painful. It is destructive. And any bitterness, the writer to the Hebrew Christians tells us, will spring up and trouble you and defile many. Notice with me the companions of bitterness. Now in the book of Galatians, there is a list of what Paul calls the works of the flesh. And though bitterness is not on this list in Galatians 5, 19 through 21, though bitterness is not on the list, there are several things there that cross over and are associated many times with bitterness. Paul says, now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of anger or wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murder, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Several of these items cross over and are related clearly in the scriptures to bitterness. In 1 Peter 4.8, Peter quotes the book of Proverbs in part of this verse. And he says, and above all things, now I don't know uh, if this is being simplistic or simple-minded, but I'm from East Texas, so you'll allow me to be that way. But if he says, and above all things, I have to believe that what he's about to say is the most important thing we can do. And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Now he is quoting Proverbs 10, verse 12, where it says, hatred stirs up strife. Or you could say strife causes hatred. It's kind of like the chicken and the egg. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all sins. Now, in the context of both passages, he is not talking about the forgiving love of God. He is talking about your love and yours and yours and mine that covers the sins of other people. Love covers a multitude of sins. 
the companions of bitterness, hatred and envy. In the book of Acts, in chapter 8, there is a, a, uh, a situation occurs when in a certain city, when the gospel is proclaimed, there is a magician, a sorcerer, a man with great power over a number of people who sees the power of God. And it says in Acts 8.13, then Simon himself also believed. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed seeing the miracles and signs that were done. And then it goes on in the telling of the story. And in verse 18, it says, Now when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Spirit had been given, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also. But Peter said to him, Your money perish with you because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. And you have neither part nor portion in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. Now, what do you think his uh, motive was? Uh, was it power? Well, I would have thought so. Perhaps envy. But look at the very next verse and see what Peter says. For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. Simon the sorcerer, poisoned by bitterness, bound by iniquity. And in 1 John 3, 15, you might say this is, is the end result of the process that bitterness begins. John writes, Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Notice with me next, the conclusion of bitterness. What does it do? In verse 15, he says, looking diligently lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause you trouble, and by this many become defiled. Like all things evil, bitterness is not worth the price that you have to pay for it. Bitterness is a costly item, and it is not worth the price. Like everything Satan offers, it is paid for in counterfeit coin that will crumble and leave nothing behind. And the sad thing about it is that the conclusion of bitterness is that you pay for it. You pay. The people you love pay. The people you touch pay. The people to whom you try to minister, they pay. And whatever and whomever it may have been, 
that triggered the wound, that pierced you, that left the root, they go free because your bitterness cannot touch them. Your bitterness cannot reach them. This word trouble is a very interesting word in the Greek, and I'm not going to go into it very deeply, but I discovered as I, as I traced it that it is used in literature specifically and almost uniquely to describe the way that a certain class of poisonous plants grow. So there's no question what the writer to the Hebrews was thinking about when he wrote it the growth of a poisonous plant. And in the church, and in the home, and in the Christian life, bitterness will corrupt the faith. And it will corrupt, ultimately, the character of the church. Bitterness is the root. Hatred, envy, Murder, whether that is acted out or whether the murder is held within. Hatred, envy, and murder are the stem, the leaf, and the flower of the plant. 1 John 3.15 again, as we just note, noted, says, whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no one in whom dwells the principle of murder has indwelling him the principle of eternal life. I want you to notice one other thing with me. And that is the correction for bitterness. I don't believe that anyone who has lived very long as a Christian could honestly say that they had never been confronted with bitterness. Many, by the grace of God, have put it away, have left no root. But many of us, from time to time, have not. And buried beneath the skin buried in seemingly dead soil somewhere, there may be a fragment or a root. Simply put, the correction to bitterness is confession of it as sin to Almighty God and heartfelt repentance, followed by renewed commitment to the Lordship of Christ. Now, I want you to notice before I go further, that I am not, I have not, and I will not talk about situations. I'm talking about principles. I have not, and I will not, and if you want to know the plain and simple truth about it, I don't care who is or was right or wrong or who did what, to whom, when, and with what results. Because you see, I am not the prophet of Jehovah railing against sin in the kingdom. 
I am your fellow traveler, your fellow sufferer, trying to share with you what to do when the battle is over and the dust is settled and the war is gone, but the root remains. And that is the only thing that I'm interested in. I'm talking about our reactions to life and what it does to us. Now today, the other things are not important. The only thing that matters is how you and I handle ourselves, not what someone else may have done. You and you alone are responsible before Almighty God for yourself. I would refer you to the book of Romans chapter 14. I spent a great deal of time in that chapter this afternoon. I'm not going to read it tonight. But repeatedly, Paul says, how dare you judge the servant of another? For do you not know that before his, ser his master he either stands or falls, and if his master so chooses, he will stand, for he will make him to stand. And the point Paul makes throughout the chapter is, when you stand before God, he will deal with you. Not with anybody else, and at that moment before the judgment seat of Christ, as believers, as Paul tells us in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 3, our works will be tried to see what sort they are. And if they burn wood, hay, and stubble, then nothing will be left. But if through the fire they remain, there will be a reward. You are responsible before God for your actions and for your reactions. And we must always remember that nothing anybody else can ever do at any time justifies an ungodly response from us. You may trust God to take care of everyone else the same way that he will take care of you, but you stand before him. I know how you may feel. You may, I have no doubt, that some of you are saying to yourself, right this minute, but you and maybe, maybe even God just don't understand how I feel. There is nothing more devastating than to feel that way, than to feel that no one understands and to be convinced of it. Notice in the chapter of our text in Hebrews 12, I saw as I, as I just wanted to be sure I put the, the paragraph I selected in its context, I, I wanted to read the entire chapter and I noticed and really for the first time in this connection, verses 3 and 4. The writer says, For consider him who endured so much hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. 
you have not yet resisted to bloodshed in striving against sin. And I beg you to hear the Lord Jesus say, they scourged me until the bones of my back shone white against the sun and nothing but ribbons of raw meat were left. They beat my face until my mother didn't know me. And they nailed me to a cross. And before I died, I said, Father, forgive them. And if you would know how far you must go in forgiveness. We are told repeatedly in the New Testament that the highest goal we could ever achieve would to be one with Him in His sufferings. And so even if it meant to go to the cross, that would be how far you must go. Look with me at a very familiar passage of Scripture in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians 4. I think after God is love, this may have been one of the first things I learned as a child. Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you along with all malice. Now, you know, why don't we read those two verses before we read the one we know? And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. Be tender one to another. Why should you forgive? Well, there are any number of good reasons, and I can make you a wonderful list. But the most important reason on the list is not what it will do to you. The most important reason on the list is when the Lord Jesus Christ died for your sins, you became under obligation to Him to forgive others as He forgave you. Those who have fully received God's forgiveness do not have it in their hearts not to forgive. I do not know how to judge the hearts of others. I'm glad that I do not know how, and I'm glad that God has not asked me to do so. But a characteristic which troubles me deeply about a Christian, any Christian, is an unwillingness to forgive. I know some things about me that I don't want you to know. I know some things on the inside of my heart that I will never reveal that God has found and dealt with at various times in my life. 
And when I look at me, I do not have it in me to deny forgiveness to somebody else. And I fear that sometimes an unforgiving spirit is the product of a lack of awareness of what we are apart from the grace of God. Listen again to Paul in Philippians 3. This, this passage makes a wonderful sermon, but I just want us to listen to him as though he were talking to us tonight. Philippians 3, beginning in verse 10. Paul is praying for himself now, and he says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained or am already made whole or perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have attained or apprehended but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if, anything you, if in anything you think otherwise, God will show that to you if you start moving in the right direction. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already arrived or attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. How? But I know that it can be done because I've done it. Not always. Not with perfection. Not for a long time. But I've done it. And when I've done it, it was not a matter of time healing the wound while the root remained in place. It was a matter of confession and of repentance toward God. To forgive is to forget. Now, I mean forgetfulness not in the sense of, of dumping your memory banks as though something never occurred. Only God is capable of that. And if the Bible is to be believed, that's what God does with my sins when I came to Him for salvation. He deep-sixed them. He put them in the sea. And He lost them. That puts me under obligation to do what Paul says, to forget the things that are behind now, this is not in the message. This is free, but this is good. It is sin to remember what God forgets. It is sin to remember what God forgets. Now, that goes for your own sins. It is morbid and it is sinful to live under the weight of your own sins when you become a Christian. 
but it is sinful and it is morbid and it is unholy to remember the sins of others that are covered by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me urge you, whatever it is, let all of it be covered by the blood of the Lord Jesus and press on toward the prize of the high calling that he talks about. When Israel left Egypt, it is recorded in Exodus 15 that after they had been in the desert for a few days, they were hot and they were thirsty and they had found no water. And they came to a place where there was water. But the first ones there realized that the waters were bitter. They were poison. They were alkaline. They could not be uh, taken for nourishment. And the people began to cry out against Moses, What shall we drink? And Moses cried out to God. And it is recorded in Exodus chapter 15. So he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. And when he cast the tree into the waters, the waters were made sweet. And there he made a statute and an ordinance for them. And there he tested them. Now that is a symbolic thing to me. It's a type of Christ. The bitterness of the waters was made sweet by the tree that was cast into the bitter waters. And I don't know your hurt, and I don't know your heart, but I know that the cross of the Lord Jesus put in the middle of your heart can do the same thing for you. No matter how bitter the pill, no matter how hard it may be to take. In the book of Genesis, and we'll not read a passage there, but in the life of Joseph, Joseph was the favorite of 12 sons. His father doted on him. His father loved him. His father lifted him above his brothers. And he was a spoiled young man, but he was just a boy. And his brothers... Ten of his eleven brothers conspired to kill him. And under the counsel of the oldest, instead of killing him, they sold him into slavery in Egypt. You know the story. Years pass. He goes to the house of a soldier, and the soldier's wife lies about him, and he lands in prison where he sits for having done nothing for years. But ultimately, God lifts him up and places him by the right hand of the king of the greatest nation in the whole world. And then sometime later, through the providence of God, his brothers find their way to him. And when finally he reveals himself to his brothers, they tremble with fear. And they began to make excuses and they began to tell lies about their father and that their father said, you should forgive us. And Joseph, I can see him, he must have held his hands and said, wait, wait, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good to preserve much people alive. Now, how many reasons 
did Joseph had to become embittered and soured on life. But he never lost sight of the fact that even when he had no answers to his questions, God was still around. And he is still around for us, too. I can hear you still say, as I have said, but I just can't put it all behind me yet. Then, like any poison of any kind, it will, not might, it, bitterness, will ruin you and everyone with whom you are intimate and everything that you touch. You can't, you can't, you cannot put it behind you. But as you came to the Lord Jesus Christ as a poor and needy sinner with no merit, you may come to Him with guilt, you may come to Him with bitterness, and He can take it away the way He took away your sins and saved your soul. You can't, but He can. Paul again in Philippians 3 said, Forgetting those things which are behind, I press forward toward the prize of the high calling in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I have shared some things about bitterness with you, and I wanted to wait until now to say this, even though I wanted to say it first it would have put a different light on the message. And I felt that first, I must say directly what I believe the Lord led me to say to you. I have approached tonight with fear and trembling. In church, several weeks ago, shortly after I knew that we were going to be able to be here today, as I worshiped and as my pastor preached from a different passage of Scripture on a totally different subject, as the Lord will, He touched my heart. And in the space of a few minutes, and I want you to understand that this is not an experience that I have. I believe God gave us the Bible to teach and to preach and that it is a fairly safe, mode of operation to teach and preach the Bible at all times. I do not feel that I have to wait before Him for Him to dictate something to me before I preach. That's not where I'm coming from. And one of the reasons it was so devastating to me is because that usually does not happen. But in the space of a few minutes, I knew what I had to say tonight. I approached it with fear and trembling. And even in that service, I'm afraid that I embarrassed my wife and I embarrassed myself a bit because for no obvious reason, I wept. And I wept not for you, but because the Lord had to finish breaking me. He had to take out 
more than one root of bitterness before I would be able to share anything with you. I'm 38 years old almost. Not so old, not so young. It's been 20 years since I have stood before any group with a manuscript. I was so reluctant to commit anything beyond the barest of this to paper that I was not able to do it until this afternoon. And I had no time left to transfer anything to the kind of notes that I usually use. I want you to know that nothing that I have shared with you has not first cut deeply to the roots of my soul. I too, with no desire to be melodramatic, but I too have stood in the ashes of all of my hopes and my dreams and my desires, feeling alone, forsaken, betrayed, abandoned by God and man. And I cried out, why? And even though I did not see him, nor could I sense his presence, God was there all of the time. I didn't think he was. But I know now that his tears mingled with mine, that he caught them all, as Scripture says, in a bottle, and that in his time, he will use them to water the seeds of a new hope and a new dream and a new desire. I knew that I was alone, but God was there, hurting with me and for me, sharing my grief. And as He always does, not when we want Him to, not when we tell Him to, but in my very darkest hour, at what I thought was the last possible moment when I saw hope die, He acted. And for only a moment, I saw His hand, and He preserved me and mine whole, not in pieces, but whole and complete. Hear this, please. I still don't have those answers. I still don't understand. God doesn't explain Himself to me. But I trust Him. And I thank Him and I praise Him for grace and for mercy. I am not there yet, but I want to be able to say with Paul that the thing I care most about is that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings. And I want to be able to say with Job when his wife said, curse God and die. He said, though he slay me, yet 
will I trust Him? I don't have those answers. And that is a difficult thing for me to contend with because I know that God is a God of order. I know that there is a perfect reason and a wonderful explanation for everything that ever occurs because we have a sovereign and almighty God. I know that, but I still don't have the answers. I still don't understand. And I do not expect that until I stand before Him face to face, I will. I don't know your heart. I don't know your hurt. But I do know the great master and physician of our souls. And I know that tonight He will meet you right here. And He will take whatever it is and He will throw it away where it will never come back. 